Get up on that mic, boy. Cool. <laughs> Wait, so how's it going? We'll just go with it. It's okay, cool. Sweet. Relax. Kanye plug. Enjoy, enjoy your two glasses of wine that you uh, just drank. Yeah. Thanks for that wine, by the way. <laughs> You're so welcome. Okay. Get ready to go. This is Sibling Revelry. I'm Caitlin Perlman. And I'm Michael Grathwall. And uh, we're not siblings. No, we're not. Uh, so it's sort of a misnomer this time around, the the name of the podcast. Um, but Andrew, my brother, Andrew, is in Chile right now. You know, like like a boss. <laughs> Just very casually. Yeah, yeah, very casually in Chile. You know, hiking in Patagonia like you do. Um, and so... Uh, Michael, thank you for generously stepping in <laughs> and joining me for another episode. I mean, you basically are my brother in a like sort of alternative form. Like you are, you and Andrew are almost the same person. So it's almost sure. like I'm sitting in a room with him right now. Oh, I, I feel like I'm him actually. <laughs> I, I'm channeling him right now. At least. <laughs> um, I was thinking about how last time you were here, our last episode, we were talking about Kanye West. Prescient. I know. And it's like, we talked about it. We released the podcast and then like stuff got crazy. Have you, have you considered that we caused it? No, I haven't considered that, mm. but I, I hope, I hope we did. I think there's a case to be made. <laughs> that would be pretty impressive considering we have, I think a total of like 10 Twitter followers. <laughs> <laughs> Bam. That's the power of social media. So this is a podcast. Uh, usually, Andrew and I sit across from each other and riff on stuff. Uh, one of us brings a topic, the other one doesn't know what it is, and we talk about it for uh, a little bit. And then we also do some, play some fun games, have some fun segments in between. This time around, I've made Michael bring the the topic because I'm lazy. <laughs> so I'm ready to hear what it is, except... Except. There's something we have to do first. Indeed. We have to do our demographics. Um, so every week... We speak for a different demographic that uh, we're a part of, but that we represent. So we speak for the whole group um, because, you know, that's how media works. Um, so, Michael, who are you speaking for this week? Uh, this week I am speaking for 20-somethings who are highly opinionated and yet paradoxically have very low self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> that's everybody... <laughs> <laughs> that's not accurate. <laughs> it's a great demographic. It's also, that's me. I am speaking for all Quakers who hate eating mushrooms, like really hate mushrooms. That's me. I'm not done. I know, but it's <laughs> shocking. Sorry. <laughs> um, and um, who are simultaneously... Like super, super proud of the fact that they're writers, but don't hang out with any other writers. Because <laughs> they find other writers really annoying. <laughs> That's the demographic that I'm speaking for this week. <laughs> um, all right, so we ready to dive into this topic? Sure, let's do it. All right, I'm really curious about what you brought. Uh, so this is in light of Super Tuesday. Oh, gosh. Um, and I also want to keep in mind a little bit uh the previous episode on reality tv because i think that might come up Ah. so ultimately the question that i have is has technology specifically like social media and like 
technology to the past couple of years democratized politics, so to speak, or ruined it? Oh, this is a great question. What is it given and what is it taken away? What is it given and what is it taken away? Um, well, for me, it's sort of mind boggling because, I mean, and I think it's that it's that 24 hour news, like we have to fill this, we have to fill the, t- the airtime. Right. So we have to talk about something. And politics is such an easy go to. Mm-hmm. And it, and then we just, you have social media and you have all these other things that just like feed the monster yeah. in a way. I mean, that's sort of my perspective on it. Yeah, I, I th- it's interesting because you have sort of bite-sized information that mm-hmm. is inherently reductive, uh, but you also have such widely disseminated information that it can be incredibly useful that I feel like you can make the argument that we have a very well-informed electorate right now, hmm. um, just in terms of like, you know, people are generally on the same page about what the issues are, um, you know, who thinks what, uh, that type of thing. The, the other thing that I was thinking about is the role of uh, social media in, like, social movements. Mm. Um, so the way that, that enters into politics as well, the ways that maybe Black Lives Matter and movements like that are influencing politics is a function of social media largely. Mm-hmm. So the question about the kind of the battle between, like, the bite-sized reductive tendency of social media and the kind of unifying... Um, kind of social aspect of social mm-hmm. media. And then I, I, the reason I mentioned earlier that we might want to relate this back to the reality TV episode is the element of performance going on and mm-hmm. the creation of a narrative and the way that this election is about creating a narrative for each candidate that separates them from each other and that tries to align them with like the mythical perfect American the mm-hmm. most, that that is also enabled by by social media. Yeah. Well, you just touched on a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, that's cool. Don't worry about it. You just give, gave me a lot of fodder. I mean, I was thinking about the first thing that popped in my head when you said the whole thing about the soundbite was actually West Wing, which you actually represent, yeah. referenced in the last episode. I'm oh, let's, huge. Let's, let's West, talk about the West Wing. West Wing is great. Let's do it. <laughs> if we're going to talk about politics, I feel like we have to. <laughs> um, but uh, that that wonderful episode um, during the election for Bartlett's second term as president, um, when he has that, they had to decide on one debate, right? And there's this whole thing about the 10-word answer, right? You have to have a 10-word answer for everything. You have to have the soundbite. You have to have, in a sense, the tweet, right? Right. And that eventually what happens is that every topic gets reduced into something that sort of loses all its meaning and all its nuance. Mm -hmm. And so people think that they understand the quote-unquote issues that are happening today, and they understand... You know, they think, oh, healthcare, the economy, uh, environmental issues, uh, marriage equality, uh, racism, right? They think that they understand those things because a politician gave them some kind of soundbite answer. On the other hand, I don't have enough time to understand the nuance of all issues. That, right. I have a life to live. Yeah. Um, so I don't necessarily want to say that, like, we have to say that's a bad thing. I mean, you know, uh, Jed Bartlett goes on a whole thing about 10-word answers, <laughs> right, in, in the debate, and he ends up winning, winning the, the debate. Um, but I think, I think we have to maybe examine the ways in which those things can actually be, maybe be helpful for the masses. Mm-hmm. And also... You know, and I think you you talked about sort of this tension between what the politicians, in a sense, are feeding us and what we're giving, what we're putting out in the world and social media, the kind of social movements that are happening, um, and this question of who's informing who. Are the politicians telling us what Mm. to think, or are we telling the politicians what matters to us? 
um, because in a way social media is giving people a voice. There are people who are having who have a voice that haven't had a voice before. I think. Right. And the, the way you put that is interesting. Like maybe the media and the politicians kind of got the jump on us in terms of, you know, telling us what to think instead of the other way around. That it's it seems like the explosion of social media for you know social activism is more recent than the bite sizeification thing, um, so that we're sort of learning how to uh, how to exert our influence on on politicians because mm-hmm. there have been I mean you know so many instances recently of you know people are protesting Trump people are also protesting Bernie and Hillary there's a lot of action around you know organizing on social media having these these instances of protest be you know become viral videos mm-hmm. um that that seems to me a more recent phenomenon but that maybe that's mm-hmm. well, right, a positive like, trend yeah and, and understanding like understanding trends if you like go on twitter understanding what what like kind of conversations are happening based on like hashtag trends and um mm-hmm. You know, and I th- I feel like it's a chance for even the person who doesn't even have that many followers to, like, still speak their mind in a really cool way. Like, as long as you kn- kind of know how to use it. And, of course, that's a whole other issue, right? There is a right. Cert- there is an access issue mm-hmm. um, on some level. But, but, yeah, in general, if you, know, if you know the basic ins and outs, you can get a voice in a way that, like, writing to your congressman about how you feel about yeah. an issue is kind of, like... A thing of the past, you know. Yeah, I can tweet at Ted Cruz right now. <laughs> right. He might read it. Or one of his like. Or one of his aides in, interns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the people working on his campaign. It's yeah. Like you can kind of tap him on the shoulder. Michael, um, I think we should take a break from politics and the media um, and uh, play a little game that you've never played before. So I'm excited to introduce you to it. Let's do it. <laughs> this game is called oh, One Line Answers. We have done this on the show before. We have a lot of fun with it. It's one of our favorites. Um, the basic idea behind it is that I have brought three questions, three um, questions that we would never address on the podcast because we don't they don't need that much uh, substance to their answers, uh, but you know we gotta we gotta cover them anyway. Um, and it's our job, both you and me, Michael, to answer uh, these questions in only one sentence. The thing about it is, you don't know what the questions are, and I do. So no pressure. Oh man, <laughs> bring it on! All right. So are you? <laughs> all right. Are you ready for the first question? We'll find out. All right. Uh, what is the most badass pet a person can own? Mm. An ostrich. <laughs> you gonna gonna give me a little more? You can give more. <laughs> Why? I, I, I thought we were about concision here. No. <laughs> uh, purely because it's got to be one of the most uh, difficult pets to own. So just it's just level of care, yeah. like difficult. Like you own an ostrich, like you're committed. They're huge. They're fast. Can you ride an ostrich? No. Oh, too bad. That would really seal the deal, though. It would. All right. You want to know my answer? What's your answer? My answer is uh, a falcon that can carry messages for you. Ooh, like uh, like badass Harry Potter. Yeah, or like I think about the guy from Crushing Tiger, Hidden Dragon. 
Yes. <laughs> the like desert guy. Yeah, that oh that guy. <laughs> the guy who's in the desert and he just has that like I don't I don't know if he has a falcon or if it's a hawk, but it it's, it sends messages to people. It's, it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely badass and that guy is definitely like high up there on yeah. the movie badass Cause like, list. Because like sending messages via pigeon is like cool just for like the concept of like sending messages via right. bird. But like falcons are it's so much cooler than pigeons. Yeah, I feel like when I think of the pigeons doing it, it's like Okay, it's like improbable. It's uh-huh. novel when the the falcons have a <laughs> je ne sais quoi. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And also, you get to be called a falconer oh. if you have a falcon and you know how to <laughs> and you like you have it trained. <laughs> so okay, you ready for your second question? Let's go. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Why does the Carolina men's basketball team always choke when it matters most? might be an upsetting question to answer Whoa, timely <laughs> <laughs> this might not go over well with the carolina faithful but i think it has something to do with the fact that and this is contrasting us with duke unfortunately there's something to be said for the fact that uh coach k is a very uh kind of straight ahead obviously completely ridiculously competitive uh rather vulgar human being and roy williams is very clearly a a a sweet man uh without perhaps the same killer instinct but i think that it it i don't know a pervasive team culture that had something to do with with the coaches maybe but i'm okay with us having a lack of that <laughs> terrible killer instinct that was a quite a that run. was that was a semicolon if i ever heard one but there was some there was some serious run-on comma usage in there i think there were like seven <laughs> positives but we're okay <laughs> mine is much shorter are you ready <laughs> is it about timeouts uh no mine is the, because coach k knows dark magic analogous yeah i think um, I, it's actually very, it's actually very similar, perhaps, perhaps, uh, more fantastical. Sure. Uh, but as I was coming up with this answer, what I realized about Coach K is he's actually, I'm pretty sure, like, he is the Lord Voldemort of men's basketball. Yeah. Like, college hoops. Yeah, no, he's, he's Voldemort and Vader, you know? UNC, yeah. we have, we have a lot of fun well, playing we together. Do. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're really good. Well, you know, th- and we we did have a Dumbledore, oh, but he's we, gone. Oh, we did. We had a Dumbledore. Oh. We, we had someone who oh. had the power of the Dark Lord, God. but for good. But for good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he is Dean Smith, which is who we're talking yeah, about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In case for people who don't know anything about what, every everything we just said. <laughs> okay. Uh, this the final question for this game. Does not come from me. It comes from a student of mine who I adore deeply, uh, Jasmine, who uh, who gave me the great goat question last time I brought these this game when I played with Andrew. Um, so here's the question for you, Michael. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you pretend to be dead so you could attend your own funeral in disguise? My my first answer, uh, my first thought was yes, but I think my final answer is actually no. Because purely for the reason that after the funeral, I would either have to never see my friends again, or they would probably not be my friends anymore if yeah. they found out. Yeah. 
that's that's about on par, right? Uh, yeah, you don't want to like roll up two weeks later and be like, hey guys, remember? I'm the most selfish dude in the on the or or even in a in a way like even worse, like like do like rev, like a big reveal oh, at the end of the funeral. The worst. <laughs> yeah. Like every like there is there's no going back from that. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I really would be like you'd have to move and make all new friends and and family. Yeah. 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 Well, I, similarly, I mean, I had just like no because I couldn't do that to my family, like. I understand the whole like, oh, you want to hear all the nice things people say about you. And like, I'm sure that would be nice. But like to see everyone who loves you completely like devastated after you know what it's like when they've lost other people. It's like, yeah, I couldn't do that. I think it I think it would ruin the moment for me, actually. Like it wouldn't be this. Have you seen the movie Waking Ned Divine? Yes. Oh, that's that scene at the end. There's a scene where a guy gets to attend his own funeral, but everyone knows that's happening. Uh Uh-huh. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you for giving us the trade answers, even though your, your basketball <laughs> one was really long. <laughs> it was not totally cheating. I, I think the record will show that there was only one semicolon and mostly commas. <laughs> uh, let's get back to our conversation about uh, the media and politics. So then I want to go back to your to your third point about reality television. Mm. Remind me what you said about that because I'm like there's so there's just so much in there. Right. I I think that uh this was I, more specifically in relation to the 24-hour news cycle. Yeah. About a, a sort of flood of content where we are now being given all the most intimate details of like all these people's campaigns uh-huh. Uh-huh, and uh-huh, that uh-huh. Yeah. their and performance. Exactly. Yeah. So you have people creating uh, you, know, tr- you know, trying to present an image of themselves that's creating a particular narrative in a way that's much more pronounced than it used to be. I mean, I was thinking of, uh, I might eat my words in a minute, but maybe the, the 1960 election at JFK and Nixon. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first televised debate. And mm-hmm. general perception was that Nixon lost purely because uh, he looked slightly disheveled and nervous mm-hmm. and a little sweaty. Polls actually said that folks who listened to him on the radio thought that he won, and folks who watched the TV thought JFK won. Right. So it's that phenomenon of presentation over message almost, but blown up because we have so many, mm-hmm. you know, ways of yeah. getting at Well, people. yeah, it's like a politician can't scratch their nose without oh. people knowing. Yeah. Well, and I think also the performance, I mean, I was thinking about um, a great episode of The Daily Show that I watched, you know, in the new Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a correspondent go to a Trump rally. Um, and simultaneously also, actually in preparation for the Trump rally, had, had interviewed a, a professional circus performer as a part of that because the guy was talking about sort of what it means to put on a show, right? The glamour, in a sense, that you're, that you're putting on, the prestige, if you will, right? To make people sort of in awe of you. And then this correspondent, whose name I'm blanking on, at this rally, basically broke down Trump's whole speech as it was going in terms of the like the acts in a circus. And it was so perfect because I've always referred to, I've always thought, I've always, I, I was thinking about in terms of metaphors, like, like the election right now is like a circus. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the question is like, who is Trump in this? And to me, he's the clown. <laughs> 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 like, it's just like, there's like, it's like, all show and no substance, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, 
and like that has its place and we love watching it um but it kind of freaks us out a little too a little bit (laughs) or maybe more than a little um but i loved this comparison because it is i mean he is just it's all it's all um you know it's all flash right it's there's Mm. not there really isn't a lot of substance there and if you hear the speech that he made um you're just like oh my god like he doesn't even know he doesn't even really know how to talk to a crowd he doesn't really know how to inspire people i mean people were like getting bored while he was going on some random tangent about his life and then he like brought it back to how how we have to close our borders and everyone was like yeah you know like bring you know bring back the excitement (laughs) um but it is it's this it's how can you rope people in how can you kind of keep people watching Mm -hmm. um because as long as people are paying attention to you and watching you then you're gonna then you're doing well is sort of the is sort of the idea people have to know who you are and he's certainly uh, a fan of the Twitter insult um, <laughs> as a way of, you know, gathering attention. And I read um, an article recently about how the other candidates are kind of mimicking. Like Marco Rubio has really gone after him recently. Uh-huh. Um, but I think, it, I don't know whether it was the same speech, but I think he, I think it might have been in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I saw a photo of him, of Trump on stage with no fewer than 10 American flags behind him all lined up. Yeah. It's like is this just about how many flags we can stick behind someone on the stage? And they're the most, but that sort of, um, that imagery, I think we're very accustomed to taking seriously also Mm -hmm. that the, we, we take that kind of thing as substance perhaps, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, we take someone's word for how patriotic they are based on how patriotic they say they are and what kind of you know what what, what right. presentation they they mm-hmm. give you the presentation is huge yeah um i was actually just watching a ted talk today with a student of mine um we were just looking at like how ted talks are constructed and this guy will steven had this amazing ted talk where he didn't talk about anything but he talked about how he was talking about stuff. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> it was super, super, meta. super meta. It was great, though. And he had all these fake charts. <laughs> I have to find it. Yeah, you have to Google it. Will Steven. Um, it's like, says, it's like I think the title on YouTube is like, How to Sound Smart While Giving a TED Talk. And he, basically, he opens it with, I'm about to talk about absolutely nothing. Like, I literally have nothing to talk about. But I'm going to talk about it, about the nothing. Like, I do have something to talk about. And you're going to know. Like, you're going to care about the nothing that I have to talk about because I'm gesticulating with my hands and I'm speaking passionately and I'm doing all these things that people in TED Talks do. And then I'm going to present some charts and you're going to know that I actually did some research on the nothing that I'm talking about. (laughs) And it's just... You it's know, actually working on me right now. It, I'm interested now, you know? <laughs> right. And, 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 well, and of course, the, the beautiful p- sort of postmodern irony about the whole thing was that on the one hand, he claimed to be talking about nothing, but what he was actually talking about was how it doesn't really matter what you say, it's how you say it. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and Trump is a master of saying things that really mean very little and actually per- convey very little about what he would do as president while roping people into this idea that he mm-hmm. could get something done. Yeah. But the, the way that, um, you know, the, the bite-sized political revolution has gone is that we, there's really like the, the debates, Democratic or Republican really have very little like actual substance. There's just like the sort of biggest sort of umbrella talking point mm-hmm. gets covered. There might be an issue, you know, between candidates there but there's very little actually actual policy 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because I, when I, when I watch Trump, I get very, very annoyed at that. Um, and find myself thinking like, God, like I really wish this guy would actually say something really specific for once. Um, even if it's about, if it's about like how we're going to get Mexico to pay for the wall. But then I watch, you know, Hillary or Bernie, who I'm more inclined to agree with. And it's roughly the same, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Bernie's hammering the the 1% talking point um, and, you know, making everything about, not everything, but really hammering the economic inequality. And, you know, Hillary's kind of trying to capitalize on her Secretary of State experience mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to take Obama's legacy into the into the next decade. And it's like, it seems like everyone is sort of stuck in the mud. Mm-hmm. And paradoxically, the, the reason I thought of this topic is I'm wondering whether that's not because we have so much coverage in some ways. Mm-hmm. That we're, that the differentiation is that like, you have to choose a message and be completely consistent with it because that's the, the standard that we hold you to, mm-hmm. that the media holds you to, that the public holds right. you to. Um, but at some point we get tired of listening. Right. It's like the same message over and over. It's like yeah. say something new. Because conceivably what they what a candidate could say in a debate would be interesting the first time around. Yeah. Um and that's I think always the like I don't know at some point yeah this sort of this one trick pony idea or like I've taken a stance and now I'm going to just like really fucking take that yeah, stance like, like be in that I'm go just all around the country making stance. taking this stance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of being like actually I I understand nuance and I understand um some the you know the the subtleties that are here and i also understand what it's what it means to like listen to other people's opinions mm-hmm. um you know and all the things that we say we want in politics right like i i always have this issue with the idea that like we we can't we can't handle politicians who change their mind yeah um it's always so irritating like when somebody like when somebody comes out on an issue and like well when you were when you were in congress 10 years ago you voted against it it's like it was 10 years ago right. like nobody's allowed to change their mind ever like nobody's allowed to like grow as a human being or like come to understand something new about it or that maybe times change and like new policy is needed yeah. or not or not needed or whatever you know do we, do we, would like will we like a candidate who hasn't like learned anything in the last 10 <laughs> yeah, years right. or if we like someone who like they, we want them to be born knowing all the things yeah, ex- exactly <laughs> like the, the minute you walk into <laughs> politics when you are you know it, when you become like a junior aide for someone mm-hmm. when you're like 17 gotta have your story straight yeah and you absolutely can't like point at somebody else in their debate and be like, I agree with you. That's actually a great point. Thanks for that. I'm oh. now thinking about how I should change my stance because blah, blah, blah. Right? That, like that's, there's that's like, a capi- that's political that's a, suicide. It's a capitulation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean that, and I feel like that feeds culturally, like we, this like need to be right. Even mm-hmm. when we come to realize that somebody else is making a great point and we can't, but we can't hear it yeah. because we have to be right. Absolutely. <laughs> Cause you said it once and it's on tape. So mm-hmm. that's your message for life. Yeah. And then, you know, if you say two things, two contradictory things too close together, then Trevor Noah will find out <laughs> and play it on loop <laughs> for three minutes. <laughs> right. You know, for millions of people. Right. Okay. So I think it's time for us to take another break um, from our conversation on social media and the internet and how it's informing our our lives and uh, 
cut to uh, a little missive recording from Andrew, um, who is like a jerk hanging out in Chile without us. <laughs> it's like real world, where's Waldo? Yeah. Um, and he's hanging out also with his girlfriend, Christina, who's like been in South America for like months, also like a jerk, um, working with orphans. Awful. <laughs> um, but they did send us a recording uh, from the beach. So uh, we're going to take a little dip into South America real quick. Hope you enjoy it. Curb your jealousy. Okay, so hi, Kaylin. This is Andrew from Vina del Mar, Chile, which is right next to Valparaiso, um, which is an amazing city, home to Pablo Neruda, whose house we saw earlier today, which was like the coolest house I think I've ever been in, ever. But the thing I want to share with you, the thing that I've learned uh, today, is that the water here is really, really cold, like super cold, surprisingly cold. Uh, given that it's like a perfect like 75, 80 degrees right now. But it turns out, and we learned this from our host, Manuel, uh, and he was telling us that uh, because of the Humboldt current, right? The Humboldt current? I think it's the Humboldt current um, that comes up north from Antarctica, from the south, uh, brings this really, really cold current with it which just makes the water like freezing cold. I mean, it's really refreshing and like still worth like jumping into. Uh, and people here are pretty fearless. You'll see all these kids like jumping into like three feet of water into the giant waves that are coming. Um, but it is freezing cold. Uh, but I'm probably gonna get back in here in the next like five minutes. Christina, are you gonna get in the water? Yes. <laughs> we'll see. I don't I, know if uh, I believe I, that. Uh, I might just put my feet in, but I want to, well, I want to see how cold it is, but. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see uh, how far Christina's going to be. The waves are huge. Um, Yeah. Well, I love you. I hope the podcast is going well and uh, give everyone our love. Okay. Bye. So this whole issue, you know, 200 years ago, um, history was written, you know, they would say history is written by the winners, and in most cases it meant white men. Um, so a lot of history has been written by by white men, certainly been written by people in power, wherever, wherever that may be in the world. And also like literacy being an issue, right? Like actual access to information who was getting the information, who was giving the information, the kind of biases that were coming from that. You know, all of that was an issue. And now it's almost like the, we have the opposite problem where like yeah. everybody gets to talk, right. but we, <laughs> well, we have to sift through all the garbage to get to like what matters. That's what I feel. That's what I feel sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and we have like Conceivably, we have like algorithms that are supposed to like help the like cream Ooh. rise to the surface, Ooh, if you but. will. But <laughs> there, there are major issues with those too. Sure. And and what's awkward is that I don't feel like we passed through a golden era on the way. No, we didn't. More like a light switch. Mm-hmm. I guess. I've never been a pessimist in any form, so I don't want to be hopeless about it. <laughs> I'm definitely an optimist. Um, but I think it can be. I think sometimes watching. Like watching the way that that the election is unfolding right now can be disheartening for me when I think about 
the way we're consuming it and yeah and what's being said about it and what's getting focused on um can be it can get disheartening for me so yeah. in, in some ways it's a it's been a collection of the the worst of the internet i guess or the worst of our sort of current technological moment because there there are a lot of current events where you know people are rallying together around things that the internet is a really useful wonderful tool um i mean it played such a huge part in the arab spring all the way Mm -hmm. up through you know current you know there i mean the black lives matter movement has been using twitter amazingly and like all this all this stuff it it can be so good and then it all it feels like all the Mm -hmm. all the crap comes out of the right well in a way it's sort of like i mean don't feed the trolls but also like just don't read the trolls like just don't Mm -hmm. just don't consume it because that's just like the i don't know bottom of the barrel kind of stuff <laughs> and and i think it can be yeah it can it can just start start to like wear on you but i think there is that wonderful moment when you just discover that really amazing gem that some somebody somewhere is doing and like maybe only five people are listening um but you know what they're doing is interesting and mm-hmm. it's and they have a they have a platform in a way they never have you know anybody could go out on the street corner and start yelling what they think but are we gonna but only some people are going to listen as opposed to being able to go on the internet and potentially there's the potential audiences is sort of incalculable in a way. Um, And there's something really nice about that. Thank you for listening to the Sibling Revelry Podcast. If you want to join the conversation, you can email us at siblingrevelrypodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at sibling underscore revelry or follow us on Instagram at the same handle. This episode was produced by me, Caitlin Perlman, and edited by Lucia Constantine. Our music is by Flemingosis. You can find more of his work at flemingosis.com. A special thanks to Michael Grathwall for being our guest this week. And thanks to you for listening.